What is up, everyone? Uh, today is Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? Yep, Wednesday, July 7th. And I am Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Hughes for episode 211 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I want to say, how are you doing there, Shawan, before we hop into everything we got to talk about tonight? Oh, I'm good. Good as always. Staying busy. Just stay busy. That's the best way to say we stay out of trouble by staying busy. What'd you and the family do for uh, the holiday? Man, we were on the road, had to go visit some great grandparents. And then, I mean, half the time I'm there just helping move stuff, clean stuff, grill stuff. I'm not here to relax. I, I just wanted to lay down and chill out. I didn't know that I was going to make the church rounds at church and have to go carry stuff. It, it's very unrelaxing. Well, you were supposed to relax over the weekend, but I guess nobody really got a chance to do that. I did plenty of relaxing. I probably did enough for the both of us. But let's go ahead, because we got a lot to talk about tonight, man. But before we jump into that, let's um, first and foremost, as always, thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the show, whether you're doing it the day of, the day after, days to wait later, doesn't really matter. We thank you for taking the time to enjoy our content. Please be sure to like share and subscribe wherever you can find us. This show you can find here on MMARatings.net and .com. You can catch us on YouTube at MMA Ratings, and you can hit us up across multiple podcast networks, including Apple, uh, Google, Breaker, Radio Public, Spotify, and Anchor. So, Shawan, man, we're going to be talking about a little bit of everything here today. Most of this coverage will be focused around UFC 264, which is this weekend. I guess you can say this is a big card, right? Is, is this the first big card of 2021? Yeah, I mean, as far as star power, yeah. Yeah, it ha- it happened. They've had important cards with big names as far as genuine dragging the casuals out of their seats to put their money down and fill out an arena. Yeah, this is probably the biggest one they've had so far. Might be the biggest one of the biggest one they have um, this year, period. I feel like a, more people are talking about this one than the rematch, um, obviously, uh, with this being the trilogy fight. So we'll be talking a lot about Connor and Dustin uh, fighting for the third time this weekend. So let's go ahead and really jump right into that. First and foremost, Sean, we have Connor, we have Dustin. What are your three keys to a Connor McGregor victory on Saturday? We're going to start with him first. Well, I was going to, I'm, um, I wanted to kind of explore this. I think one thing before I get to the three things he needs to do is, is this. Connor reminds me a lot of Chuck Liddell. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because at one point when Chuck was early in his career, he was getting guys on the counter, catching them on the end of his punches, running them into shots. He used all his weapons, the kicks, the takedowns, the punches. But as he got, a, he got his fame got bigger, he start, started buying into the narrative of his power and he just started punching. He was never a really good boxer, but he could throw pretty good punches. And he started stalking guys and walking into guys. And that's when you started seeing Chuck Liddell get knocked out. That's when you started seeing Chuck Liddell go on a downward slide, when he basically threw all the other skills away and relied purely on his punching power and his physical presence and the threat he posed. Um, the reason I bring this up is because I found that recently Connor is beginning to start to do that. Against Dustin, one of the main things he needs to do, and it's based off of his strength and his weakness, is he needs to maintain the distance. At a certain, Connor's boxing is not as good as people make it out to be. On a platonic level, his jab, the straight left, um, kind of the uppercuts, the hooks to the body, everything. The platonic level, single shots, or maybe a couple, a, a short combination, he's very dangerous. But once you get past that, his ability to put combinations together and be defensively sound and, and to correctly pressure kind of dissipate. So one of the main keys I have for him is to main, maintain the distance. And that's the combination of using his long jab, using the long straight punches, but also using his front kicks, front kicks and spinning kicks to maintain distance. So when he's pressuring, he's not walking into Dustin. He's actually staying at the end of Dustin's range and picking him apart as Dustin comes in. In the first fight, you saw him got the jab going, got the lead uppercut going. It was kind of pushing him about picking him apart. But once Dustin started attacking the leg, he started staying more in front of him, and he started walking into him, and Dustin was just picking him off in the exchanges because Connor's not really great in heavy exchanges. He's never had to be. At 45, his power was a difference maker, and in, in it, overseas, at 
at 55, his power was a difference maker. At 55, his power is no longer a difference maker, so he needs to be more efficient and sharper at range in applying that pressure and walking guys into shots. Secondly, what I would like him to do is use more of his kicks. He has to diversify his offense. His hands, much like Chuck Liddell's, aren't razor sharp. They're sharp for the jab. They're sharp with a double jab. They're sharp with a straight left. But they're not sharp when you throw a four, five, six combination punch. His shots are getting a little wide. They get a little slappy. If you don't believe it in MMA, look at his fight with Mayweather. He landed that jab. Bam, bam, bam. He landed a counter shot. Bam, bam, bam. When he put combinations together, after around the first two shots, combinations look really, really poor. So what he needs to do is mix up other strikes in with what he's doing so that it sets up, it sets up the hands and the hands set up the kicks, which make make uh, Dustin have to be aware of multiple threats, not just the hands. Connor's hands aren't good enough, and his power isn't good enough at 55 when we rely purely on the hands. Um, three, the third thing I would say is I need him to fight with a little bit more poise. Um, he can't buy into the narrative that the power is going to be different. He can't buy into the narrative that he's just a better level of fighter than Dustin, even though I probably agree with that. He's got to fight a complete, disciplined, deliberate, aggressive fight. It can't be it, – it's similar to what happened in the Nate Diaz fight. He came out looking for the knockout. He came in thinking he was going to overwhelm him. And when Dustin held up through the storm and pushed back, Connor had no adjustment. And instead of calming it down, sticking to his jab, maintaining his distance, he just kept trying to land that money shot again. He's got to take whatever Dustin's giving him and not try to force things. He's not going to be able to force a knockout. He doesn't have that kind of power at 55. But if he lets the knockout come and he takes what Dustin gives him and he actually reacts to what Dustin's doing, I believe Conor McGregor can get him out of there. Dustin is a d dangerous fighter. He's a skilled fighter. He's a seasoned fighter. He's a more poised fighter. But the fact of the matter is there's not a whole lot different than what we're, we're going to see from Dustin. It's going to be him building on what he did in that second fight. I don't believe that Connor was in the right mindset. I don't think, believe Connor was sharp. And I think that being having a loss, and I believe him having a second fight in what, five, six months, maybe four months or whatever, six months or so, is going to have him sharper. Instead of having a year break and an eight-month eight break and a two-year break, this is going to be the first time he's fought in the same calendar year twice. I think that'll make a difference. But those are my three points that I think have to be addressed for him to win. And hopefully his camp has actually pushed him and really allowed him an environment where those, those things can be developed. Because if you just let him have guys he can knock out and push around, he's not going to be forced to work. You have to have him facing guys who make him have to go to a plan B, plan C, and make him have to get through tough spots. That's the only way he's going to navigate this. Because Dustin Poirier is going to be there as long as you allow him to be. So something that's been standing out to me is that a lot of people are talking about Connor's power and and just basically stating that he has more power, fight ending power than Poirier. And I wanted to dive into that because at 55, I don't know if that's quite the case wholesale. Um, we've seen Connor put out Eddie Alvarez. We saw him put out uh, Donald Cerrone as well. But other than that, he has he doesn't have any stoppages at 55. So where does that thought come from that he carries more power in his strikes than Dustin? Is that something you agree with, or do you think that that's overstated? I'm not quite sure. I mean, I would say in Connor to me has been a devastating power puncher. His power comes, he's accurate, and he he maintains his distance. So when you come in, he times you. The same thing I said with Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell was never a power, great, devastating power puncher. Guys would come in because he'd be moving around and maintain the range, and he would catch them as they came in. It's the same thing with Connor. Guys step in. How did he knock out Jose Aldo? Jose Aldo was stepping in. He clipped him. How did he knock out Dustin Poirier? Dustin Poirier stepped in. He clipped him. <laughs> if, you, if you notice the trend and how he's knocked guys out, it's been on the counter. Now, it might have been an aggressive counter, but it was still a I've really never seen Connor actually just knock somebody out leading and coming in and throwing shots like that. And to be quite honest, he doesn't throw combinations well enough where you can say that his power carries over like that. Um, Dustin very rarely lands one one shot knockout pot knockout shots. Um, he didn't land it against Khabib. He didn't land it against Hooker. Um, I guess if you want to say their power, I'd probably say Dustin might hit a little bit harder. But I don't know that Dustin's a devastating puncher either because if Dustin doesn't take out Connor's leg, where because what people don't understand is. Once you don't have the leg support, you can't really put power on your punches. You can't support your weight correctly. 
And then if you can't support your weight correctly, if I kicked you in the leg a bunch of times, then I punch you. Your legs are the shot, your neck and your body legs are the shock absorbers. So if your legs aren't 100% there, you're going to fall over. If I kick you hard in the legs seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times, and then I throw a hard straight right that you walk into, you're going to drop. Not because I'm a big puncher, because I've taken out your base. So I don't know that either one of them is devastating punchers. I would say Connor's a sharper puncher. Dustin's probably powers, Dustin's probably more powerful in that he can carry power through one through seven punches. Connor's power usually exists one through three punches. All the shots he hurt Poirier with were lead shots, lead jab, lead uppercut. You, you didn't see him hurting him in combination. You saw Dustin hurt Connor in combination. But once again, that's only after the leg was compromised. So I'm looking here, and Poirier at 55 has six of his 13 um, knockout stoppages against Carlos uh, Diego Ferreja, Yancy Medeiros, Bobby Green, Michael Johnson. Both of those are li- three of those are listed as knockouts. Then he has a TKO against Justin Gaethje and, and Eddie Alvarez, and th- but none of those really stand out to me as like a highlight reel. Big one punch KO, like we see, like Francis Ngannou does, for example. Yeah, he, he's an attrition fighter. He doesn't knock anybody out one shot. If if you had Connor face those same guys, I believe Connor would knock out could could knock out Justin Gaethje. He's already knocked out Eddie Alvarez. I believe he would knock out Yancy Medeiros. I believe he would knock out Bobby Green. I believe he would knock out Michael Johnson. Knocking out Michael Johnson isn't the most spectacular thing you could do in the world. Neither is knocking out Cesar Ferreira. Neither is. Jackson- Michael Johnson knocked knocked out Poirier. Yeah, there you go. So I, I don't I don't know that the guys he's faced necessarily are just the sturdiest of chins, but his damage comes through attrition. He's gonna give one big bomb to Robert to Bob, Daniel Hooker. Dustin Poirier went five hard rounds and was unloading unloading the clip on him, and he didn't put him away. He beat him up, but he didn't put him away. So I, I don't think Justin's that kind of dynamic puncher. He's an attrition fighter. He attacks the body, throws in combination. He chops the body, goes to the head, establishes a jab, puts the shots together. He's an all-round striker that breaks you down to attrition. He's not the kind of guy who will turn a fight around with one punch. And even against Connor, he didn't turn the right fight around with one punch. Until Connor's leg was pretty much chewed up, at what point did, did Poirier have Connor rocked? Let's seriously. Speaking, when did he have Poirier? When did he have Connor Ross prior to the leg just being useless? I don't remember that happening. Him out. I, I, rem- I remember Connor walking him down. And that's not to say that Dustin didn't outsmart him. Dustin attacked him. Dustin broke him down. Dustin survived those rough spots. But the fact of the matter, in that first round, one person felt the power and was backing up and, and had to make an adjustment, and one person didn't. Connor never adjusted with his game, his round one plan was working. So he didn't make an adjustment. Dustin's round one plan wasn't, so he started adjusting, and that's what it ended up being the end of Conor McGregor. Neither one of them is a devastating power puncher. Gaethje, Chandler are the power punchers in that division. But Gaethje and Chandler are also particularly vulnerable because of how they choose to attack with that all-out aggression. So let me ask you this. Let's stick with that where we already are here. And what are Dustin's three um, keys to his victory? Uh, one of the main key is the poise. Uh, I used, I know a lot of people. Well, I know a couple of people at American Top Team, and they told me for years they're like, when you get into the sparring room, Dustin Poirier is kicking the shit out of every league guys that come through the gym to work out. Dustin Poirier is just whooping their asses. The problem with Dustin Poirier is he can't ever maintain his poise. Sometimes he lets his he lets things get to him, lets the moment get to him. That's how Michael Johnson knocked him out. He took it personal, and then he got his doors blown off. When he fought Conor McGregor, the moment got to him, Conor got under skin, he got his doors blown off. The biggest adjustment that Dustin Poirier's made is he can maintain his poise, which means he is no longer fighting stupid. He doesn't match his opponent. He doesn't fight in his opponent's strength. He fights on his terms. It's what he did against Justin Gaethje. It's what he did against Conor McGregor. So he has to maintain the poise. No matter if Conor starts going back and trying to test him or make it a, a show of bravado, he has to stick to the game plan and systematically break Connor down. So he has to maintain his poise. Two, he's got to repeat the same thing he did before. He has got to mix up his attacks. It can't be straight boxing. It can't be straight kickboxing. He has got to attack Connor at multiple levels and attack Connor in combinations so that Connor is kept off balance. And maybe you can drag Connor into the kind of fight you want and the kind of pace you want. 
You don't want Connor feeling like he can march you down at the end of his range like he likes to. You don't want to let Connor build any momentum because once he builds momentum, it, it's it's a very tough thing to get through to be Connor McGregor once he's built momentum. So you don't want to let him build momentum. So you have to attack him at every level. And third, I would say you have to attack him at any range, whether Connor can grapple with you or not, wrestle with you or not. You can you, you cannot allow him to settle in. If he settles in, knowing that it's going to be a purely striking match, it is going to be a rough night for Dustin Poirier. Dustin needs to attack him in every single range, whether it's clinch, whether it's grappling, whether it's wrestling. He can't allow Connor any spot where he can rest, and he can't allow Connor to, to get into his groove and once again build momentum. The first, the reason that the, what he did in the second fight was actually what they had planned in the first fight. It never got to that point because Dustin didn't maintain his poise. He decided he was going to engage in one range, and he didn't make it a multi-tier fight. He made it really easy. And if you give Connor really easy reads, Connor is going to dismantle you. He's a guy built to take away the initial read, and it's up to you to make an adjustment and make an adjustment and make it quickly. If you take a round or two to make an adjustment, by the time you catch on to it, Connor's put two, three rounds, two, three rounds, and, and, and it's pretty much all downhill from there. So those would be the three things I think he needs to make. Attack, he needs to maintain his poise. So he doesn't open himself up to getting countered or blasted because Connor can still catch him with one or two and put him out. He needs to attack multiple levels, head, body, legs. He cannot let Connor get into the rhythm or let Connor figure him out early. He's got to keep him guessing. And third, he has to attack him at every single range and attack him with the intent of putting damage on him or finishing. If he's just going to make it a purely striking match, we are going to have a very long night for Dustin Poirier. Even though he's a very good striker, when he settles into these sort of things, I, I saw Dan Hooker make – Dustin Poirier look anything but a top 10 lightweight against Dan Hooker. Cause I don't think Dan Hooker is a tight top 10 lightweight and he went tooth and nail with him. Why? Cause he got drugged into that kind of fight and he just basically made it a one note type fight. So an, an, a below average striker with a good chin and high volume was able to make one of the best lightweights in history look pretty average. He can't afford to do that with Conor McGregor. So let me ask you this. If this fight goes five rounds and it's on the feet, no takedowns at all, do you think that um, that's a clear sign that Connor's won? Um, I think it's the fight Connor won. I, like, I believe Dustin can beat him in a striking match, but if he's just going to make it purely striking, he's going to allow Connor to, to settle in and, and make those reads. When you only have, it's, it's like any other fight. It's a mixed martial arts fight. If I only have to make one-third of the reads, how easy is my job? It's like being a point guard, and all I got to do is get it to Shaq. Well, you're so efficient. All I got to do is get it to Shaq. That's all I got to do. It makes it really easy. It his job easy. I know people fall into the Connor's a quitter, and Connor can't take punishment. Every time they say that, they just insult. They take away from any legitimacy of any win that Dustin Poirier's had. Connor is not a quitter. Connor can grapple. Connor can take a punch. Connor does have heart. Connor can fight. When people start buying into that narrative that he doesn't have heart and he's all about money, it, it, it's just ridiculous. And that's when they end up getting beat. So you don't want him to, you don't want to take it, you don't want to make his job any easier than it has to be. If Connor's jab is, is clearly established and it's a difference maker, that's a problem for Dustin Poirier. If Tom, Connor gets that front kick going, that's a problem for Dustin Poirier. If Connor's picking at jabs and, and throwing the straight left to the body and the head, that is a huge problem for Dustin Poirier. It's not his job to give the fans an exciting fight. It's his job to win the fight by any means necessary. So from a the last question about Dustin before we move on to our flat-out predictions, when should he start grappling? Because in the first fight he scored, or the second fight, he got that takedown in the first round, which really kind of set the tone from everything from that point when he was able to kind of assert his control. When he, didn't, he, he, was, he, didn't, he didn't wrestle. He didn't really wrestle after that either. He just put he it in. The, exactly. It when it opened when when it opens itself up, and make sure you're going through your reads. Make sure you're going. It's like a quarterback. You don't just throw to the first guy who comes open. Make your reads so you, you can see what the defense is doing. He needs to make his reads. There's no there's no right time. The right time is when you've made the correct read and you've gotten to Connor. That's the right time. There's no, he needs to come right out and take a takedown. I wouldn't do it. You make the read, you get your timing, you find a rhythm, and you do not panic wrestle or allow Connor to dictate when you're going to grapple. If Connor's pushing him back to the fence and he goes in for a shot, I guarantee you he's going to get his head chopped off. If Connor's sticking that jab and he thinks he's just going to walk in, I guarantee you Connor's ready for that. Connor's going to want to put pressure on him immediately to make him feel under duress for him to go for that takedown. 
He knew that takedown in the first round essentially kind of holstered what Connor was doing. I don't think Connor wanted to kick anymore. I think Connor wanted to walk him down and really overwhelm him. Instead, Connor should have stayed at his range and picked him off, picked him off, picked him off, picked him off. Make him come in. Make him come in and take away that reactive takedown. Make him come come in and cross that distance so you can see that takedown coming because Dustin Poirier is not a dynamic wrestler. He's not a dynamic athlete. He'll catch you if you're coming in chasing him. But when's the last time Dustin Poirier actually marched across the cage and just took anybody down? When have you ever seen him do that? I mean, I remember like, what's interesting is the first thing that pops to mind. Well, him and Justin, the fight with Justin Gaethje, he really he he was really aggressive and moving forward there. So I'll, I'll give him that one. Yeah, but even then, he wasn't just taking De- taking Justin off. He wasn't Khabib taking Justin off his feet. That's, that's not in his game. It's a lot of reactive takedowns, a lot of ties up where he clinches you up, rushes you up. A lot of times he just goes for that guillotine and ends up on his back anyways. So um, um, I, I, I think he, he needs to make it based off the read. Okay. If he is forcing it, he is going to get wiped out. What's your prediction? Who wins and how? Uh, I think Dustin can win. I'm still going to go with Connor, not because it's a disrespect to, 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 to Dustin, but to be quite honest, in the first round, I thought Connor had it figured out and was going to finish it. Um, the leg kicks he had no answer for. And I'm not saying he was dominating necessarily in the first round, but the deciding factor were the leg kicks. Yeah, the, the grappling works, but he didn't. He didn't get grappling out wrestled for a round. He didn't get submitted in the round. He wasn't even really getting outboxed in the round. What he was was getting his leg chewed up. And once the leg started going, the leg attacking multiple levels opened up the hands for Dustin. Previous to those legs being consistently attacked, I don't remember Dustin necessarily taking Connor to the woodshed. Maybe I'm being biased in this. I don't remember that. He was holding his own. He didn't hurt him. He wasn't backing him up. I'm just going to go with Connor McGregor. Not because I'm a Connor McGregor fan. I just think if I think Connor is going to be much, much sharper. This will be the first time in years that he has fought multiple MMA fights in the same calendar year. When's the last time he's done that? He fought Khabib. Was off for what? Last time he did that was 2019, I believe. Two years ago, but since he's fought in the last calendar year, he can't help but be sharper. This will be the first time he'll have two MMA back to back in the same calendar year. He hasn't done that in two years, and two of those performances were his worst ever. So I can only imagine being really better. Actually, sir, I'm lying. It's been five years because the last time he fought more than one time in a year was 2016 when he fought three times, Nate Diaz twice and Eddie Alvarez. Then, then it was two years before the fight with Nemargo Madoff, and then it was two more years before the fight with Cerrone, which was one year ago. Exactly. Justin in January of this year. You put Cerrone and Dustin together, that's what, all that time between, that's really only, what, if you added all those together, it's maybe two and a half rounds of time. You know, mm-hmm. he's been in the cage. Dustin Poirier's been fighting every couple months, had to put a six, seven fight win streak. He was an interim champion and fought the best guy. He had been active. Dustin is as, was as sharp and as powerful and as fresh as he was going to be. Connor rolled off his couch. He rolled off his couch and went to, and went, Two competitive rounds with what everybody says is the best lightweight in the world. He rolled off his couch. He wasn't training. He wasn't sharp. He hadn't had a fight in a year, and the fight was less than 45 seconds. He was nowhere near sharp. I can't imagine he has gotten worse. If his chin had been completely gone, and every time Dustin hit him, he hurt him, i buy that. If he never had any moments or flashes where he was in the fight, i buy that. If Dustin took him down and just submitted him, I'd say he's going to be Dustin easily. But the fact of the matter is, he should be sharper and in better shape and more acclimated to mixed martial arts than he has been in the past five years because it's the first time he's actually having multiple camps and fighting multiple times. I'm not saying he can't lose. He could. The, 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 the mystique is kind of gone a little bit. But for me to think he can't improve at all, eh, I can't buy it. I, I'm not saying I, it's because I favor him as a person. I just think he can't help but be much sharper. I don't know what Dustin can do better than he did in the second fight. I can think of a million things Connor could do better. Literally a million. So my heart is going with Dustin Poirier, and I'm going to uh, kind of liken his his run to that of Chris Paul. You know, we're seeing Chris Paul right now in the NBA Finals on the cusp of winning his first title after all these years of doing such <clears throat> excellent work. 
Poirier, he's been the interim champion. But if he gets up, if if he if he picks up a win here, he should be the number one contender for the title. Um, Dana White's already said that Conor McGregor is basically the number one contender if he gets a victory. So if Poirier wins, then there shouldn't be any any argument for that as well. Too, I would like to see him get the win and maybe get the uh, title, even though I'm a Charles Oliveira fan, just just for that Chris Paul esque moment. But my mind is telling me I, I'm to, to pick. Connor, I'm, I'm leaning that way. I think he has more, like you were saying, he has more areas to improve and to change based on that fight from January. The question is whether or not he's made enough of those adjustments to get the win. Yeah. Has he done the work? Has his camp adjusted appropriately? But even if they have, I can't imagine him being less sharp coming off of what is going to be a six month and he's been in camp for three months. And he's been really working hard. I can't, how, how is he going to be less sharp? Even if he's lost his fastball, you, you can't be less sharp. It's like if you hadn't grappled in a year, then you go in a grappling match and you lose. And then you're going to go in another one and you train for three months straight. Even if you lost your athleticism, you're going to be better just on the fact that you've actually been consistently doing it for three months. Very true there, sir. Let's uh, move into the co-main event where we have Gilbert Burns facing Stephen Thompson. And this is probably the most uh, basic iteration of the grappler versus striker fight that we could see maybe right now in MMA. So this, in my opinion, this is a title. This is a title eliminator for Josh, uh, John, I almost said Josh Thompson, Stephen Thompson, because he's really the only guy left for Kamar Usman right now other than a, a fight with gsp which isn't happening a fight with maybe nick or Nate. There, there's leon edwards too dana white literally said that leon needs to fight more <laughs> like he and he said maybe he should fight jorge masvidal knowing good and well masvidal isn't going to take that fight but that's that's a conversation for an, another day there. i think stephen thompson is it is his title shot to lose here and this is the grappler versus striker um contest what are your thoughts about this stylistically um, I'm wondering, I haven't really seen Gilbert Burns look good on the feet against anybody who he shouldn't look good on the feet against. Damian Maya, this version of Tyron Woodley, even Kamar Usman, as good as Usman is as far as his effectiveness, Usman isn't the hardest person in the world to hit. He's not elusive. It's not hard to get to your spots on Usman because Usman's biggest strength is his, his physicality and his pressure. So anybody who's willing to step in and attack or has, a, or has enough athleticism, to, you know, enough footwork and distance management to counter is going to do a certain amount of work against Usman. Jorge Masvidal did it in their first fight. He had a certain amount of success against him. Gilbert Burns had a certain amount of success against him. Um, even Rafael Desanos had a certain amount of success against him. Kobe Covington had a certain amount of success against him. Everybody's had a certain amount of success against Usman because the, the, his – IQ is there, his awareness is there, but a lot of what he does is pressure and physicality. Yeah, it's technical, yeah, it's controlled, yeah, it's deliberate, but it's still pressure and physicality. He's not hard to hit. He's hard to finish. He's hard to impose your will on. He's hard to consistently back up or to grind down. He's not hard to hit. So Gilbert Burns doing work against him doesn't really make me feel great about his opportunities against Stephen Thompson. Not that Stephen Thompson is the greatest striker in the world, but his lead leg is very problematic because most guys don't know how to deal with a fighter who has lead leg attacks because everybody is, is a bastardized version of a Muay Thai fighter or a wrestle boxer or an American kickboxer. Very few fighters have Stephen Thompson's lead leg dexterity, and that's a weapon that you're, it's hard for you to adjust to because nobody else does it. You can train for it in the camp, but that's not going to develop the timing and the spacing and the accuracy necessary. You can't develop that in three months. You, you can't develop that. I don't believe you can develop it that well. Um, Burns is clearly the better grappler. I don't know that Burns is a good enough wrestler either in setting up his strikes to get takedowns or with his footwork enough to navigate strikes to get in clean with takedowns. I don't know that he's a dynamic enough wrestler to consistently get takedowns on Wonderboy who, who really doesn't get taken down that often. Tyler Woodley didn't take him down a lot. I don't remember Johnny Hendricks taking him down. Uh, he's faced a lot of good wrestlers and, and, and high-level athletes, and they haven't really ever been able to get to their spots because of the distance management, his stance, and how light he is on his feet, moving in and out, and how well he t his low stance and his timing on that lead leg and his long-range weapons. So 
while I think if you get into extended exchanges, I think Gilbert Burns hits hard enough where he could hurt him maybe. And I believe that if Gilbert Burns can take him down, he can submit him. I haven't seen anything from Gilbert Burns that says that he can handle the movement, handle the distance management, or handle the lead leg and long-range weapons of Wonder Boy. He could catch him because Wonder Boy is not as durable as he used to be. And if Wonder Boy gets lazy or sloppy, I believe Gil- Gilbert's power is enough. But you have to work to get those shots off against Wonder Boy. You have to be a certain level of athlete, and you have to have a certain level of poise under fire. I don't know that Gilbert Burns has the conditioning. I don't know that mentally or even physically he has the durability. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have the skill set on the feet to get to the spots he needs to to get those takedowns consistently or get in position for him without getting, getting run through a wood chipper. So there's clear avenues for him to win this. He can knock him out. I believe he has enough power. I just don't think he has the craft. He can land a lucky shot, but I don't believe he has the craft over a three-round fight. And I don't believe he has the craft in the setup for his takedowns to consistently get takedowns and work Wonder Boy over to get a submission or, or a stoppage. So I really think it is Wonder Boy's fight to, to lose. And um, it's possible because he has lost a step. And once again, he's not super, super durable. But on paper, it's really hard. I, I haven't seen anybody. I haven't seen Gilbert against somebody with Wonder Boy skill set. I've seen Wonder Boy fight guys with comparable skill sets to um, Gilbert Burns. And he's done well enough. I've never seen Gilbert Burns against a guy with Wonder Boy's athleticism or his particular skill set on the feet. Wonder Boy's face, good wrestlers, good grapplers, powerful strikers who were who were fairly tenured but not really deep layer of skill and conceptual execution. I think he's seen what Gilbert Burns has to offer. He's seen it in different forms and fashion. I don't think Gilbert Burns has seen anything like what Wonder Boy has. So unless he can just pressure him and drag him into an exchange, I feel like the fight stays at range and he either runs him into a big shot or he just chops him down for three rounds and Gilbert starts to gas and then he starts turning up the heat on him. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing what that um, situation looks like. Uh, I, I, Gilbert Burns is a better grappler, clear, clear, clear as day. We can say that pretty much um, clearly here. I just wonder if he'll be able to get the fight down to the ground. I, I think that this fight doesn't look what we think it will look like. It'll be a lot of circling, a lot of movement over three rounds. I'm glad it's a three-round fight and not a five-round fight. And um, I'm looking for Thompson to get the victory. Uh, we're going to hop into what else we're looking forward to for UFC 264. And for me, it's the return of Ryan Hall. He, it's not the return of Greg Hardy? You weren't looking forward to that? Who? Greg Hardy? You weren't You weren't excited about that? I don't know who that is. Um, Ryan Hall is fighting Ila Tapari. I can't even pronounce the guy's last name, but I'm always, I'm, I mean, I'm a Ryan Hall fan. I'm interested in seeing how long, how much he's grown in the time he's been away from the sport. You know, his grappling is going to be head and shoulders above. It's one of, he has one of the best ground games in the sport, but I wonder how much his striking has developed enough. Is it going to be awkward enough to create that frustrating type of fight that he has, has shown in other um, contests? So that one's really sitting out to me. And then Sean O'Malley, getting another layup um and i hate to say it like that but he is getting a guy on his ufc debut in what a week's notice rather than the ufc finding another late replacement within the promotion for him so that i think that'll be an interesting storyline to watch too as well but what are you looking forward to on this car sean i'm not looking forward to seeing sean o'malley most likely get another or performance the night bonus for knocking out someone who shouldn't be in the cage with them that's, that's become the story of his career. I don't understand why he's even considered a contender. He's got contender talent. He is not beat. His resume is super paper thin. I'm sorry. It is, it is beyond paper thin. Um, I'm interested in seeing the Arena Aldana, Aldana versus Yana Kuniskaya fight because I feel like whoever wins that fight will probably fight Holly Holm next or have a, be in position for a potential title shot. Um, and with Bantamweight, you know, Amanda, Amanda Nunes is is the name there, but if we're not to see retread opponents, then one of these girls needs to put on a good showing and put themselves in position to uh, to call her out. I, I especially think that Kuniskaya, I think she's won two or three in a row. So I think if she gets a big win over Aldana, I think she's in the driver's seat for uh, a follow-up fight against Nunes or against Pena. Somehow Pena pulls up the upset. Um, 
I'm interested to see the Jennifer Maya, Jessica I fight just to see how Jennifer Maya, if she can build some momentum back from having that competitive loss, fairly competitive loss against Valentina Shevchenko. And much like you, I'm interested in seeing Ryan Hall. I feel really bad for him because he's been essentially relegated to these lower no-name fights, and they won't give him a ranked opponent because ranked opponents don't want him. And at this point, he's not going to keep on fighting nobodies, in my, in my opinion, because he wants a ranked guy, he wants a top name, and he's pretty much, in my opinion, going to age himself out of competition because he's not going to have enough fights and he's not going to get the names he wants. So, you know, another year or two of sitting on the sidelines doesn't help his cause, doesn't draw interest, doesn't make him any money. And I don't know how interested he is in fights that he doesn't believe challenges him. And I, I don't know that he finds this guy to be particularly challenging. But he just can't seem to get a name a name in the, in the cage. And, in, and at his age, it's going to start being a, a, where it's going what he's putting in is going to be less than what he's getting out. Yeah, I'm concerned about that as well, too, because um, his last fight was in 2019. Before that, uh, he fought twice. No, he fought once in 2018 and then 2016. So, and then 2015 before that. So, yeah, his um, his activity is very low, and that's basically because people see him as a threatening puzzle to really solve, and they don't really know how to deal with the, with the problems that he presents. Um. You know who we know what fighters will not have to deal with much longer, and that is pissing hot for weed, Shawan, because the Nevada State Athletic Commission has said it will stop punishing fighters for failing weed tests um, or failing drug tests for weed. Now, what are your initial thoughts on this? I have some thoughts on this I'm going to share after, after you, but what are your thoughts on this? I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I, I never thought it was the worst thing in the world. But the rules are the rules. I mean, whether you agree with it or not, if somebody gives you a rule and you're an athlete and you break the rule, then you have to be punished. So now that it's not a rule, regardless of how silly it was, the fact is it was a rule. They've changed the rule. Now do what you want. It's fine with me. I, I tend to think I tend to think you will see some other issues as far as weight cutting and some other stuff going on. Now this rule is done. I, I don't know. You fighter, a lot of fighters put that show on that they're very disciplined. If you know enough people in camps, you know enough guys behind the scene, when they give that whole, I've been 100% of the camp, I've been there every day, and you talk to the right guys, you find out, yeah, he was there every day, watching everybody else work. I, I tend to think you'll see like a rise in missed weight cuts and stuff like that, but I'm fine with it. It doesn't affect me either way. I, I don't smoke, but I have nothing against anybody who does, and if this is one less thing fighters have to worry about, then I'm all for it. See, um, I think we're headed for a situation where in a year from now, uh, weed is no longer a banned substance in sports. And I think a lot of this conversation is really going to blow up now because of Richardson, the woman who was not allowed to go to the Olympics and just the outcry around that. Yeah, you know, she was smoking um, and she failed the test because of that. But the outcry of the legality of weed in the United States today is a different place than we were five, ten years ago. So I, I think within a year from now, we're going to be at a point where athletic commissions won't even begin, or, or athletic commissions across the country will not be pushing for athletes to be punished for, for weed. I think where by then we'll see more states have legalized it uh, to get more of a financial benefit and being able to tax it from there. But we're going to be a different. We're going to be in a much different space, and I think a lot of that has to. A lot of that will have to do with the outcry that we're seeing over these Olympics this year. Yeah, I I, I understood that. I I wasn't. I didn't wish ill on her. I didn't hate on her. But it's like somebody says. You know, somebody can tell you about the way you wish it was. Well, I wish the good people always got the best jobs. I wish the people who were the most committed always succeeded. I, I wish that the speed limit wasn't forty. And instead, it was 60 where I drove and got a ticket. I mean, I understand it. It's silly. But the fact is, I hate to be that guy, but the rules are the rules. And, and you know, like, like I, I put it like this. A lot of people, the conversation is that certain people, if they would have had this happen, would have got a pass. So if another person, wink, wink, would have got that pass, there'd be another kind of outcry. The rule's the rule. And the person got busted. It's a dumb rule. But it's still a rule. So until it changes, you got to go by it, regardless of what happened. 
So the one person who will be, well, not the one person, but one person who will be the most excited about this is Nick Diaz. And I don't know if you saw the news from this week, but it looks like Nick Diaz is being potentially booked against Robbie Lawler for September. And this would be uh, 17 years after their first fight. Um, so yeah, 17 years after their first fight where Nick dropped Lawler in the first or second round. He finished him in the second round via TKO. Now, I was writing about this earlier today and I had a thought for a second. I was like, I can see a world where Nick Diaz wins this fight, especially if you're looking at the way Robbie Lawler has performed in the past four fights and during his four fight losing skid. Shawan, what do you think uh, your early thoughts are about Diaz versus Lawler too? If Diaz can take a punch still, I know he's going to be in shape. So if he can take a punch, the, then I, I would say he wins the fight. He would just out-hustle Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler has been hit or miss. Some days he's devastating, and but when his power isn't dictating things or his, his reputation isn't dictating things, he often just gets out-hustled and outworked. So if, or so if Nick Diaz can still take a, a quality punch, I would think Nick Diaz basically out-hustles him and might finish him. Robbie can be just amazing, and other days he just going through the motions, occasionally throwing a bomb, and that's about it. The version I saw of Robbie Lawler versus um, Colby Covington was not very reassuring. So uh, he's, he's been more active, but he hasn't been active in years. And um, once again, if Nate, Nick can take a good shot, I say Nick deals pretty handily. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. If Nick can survive, um, I think that this is a fight. He could win. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, Shawan, is did you see the MMA ratings? Uh, not see not MMA ratings, MMA fighting rankings that they released earlier this week? Uh, I did not. So they have announced a basically an independent panel of fighter rankings across promotions, and this is a this is a positive step because it allows for some movement with fighters and this is a very positive step for a lot of different reasons but i wanted to kind of highlight they, they released the first iteration of it this week and i wanted to highlight some of the some of the interesting names so their so their top five let's say just top three heavyweights whatever top five pretty clear Nganu, stipe Derek lewis curtis blades and surreal gagne but where we started seeing some interesting movement here was um Leslie so Medine Nimkov from Bellator is ranked number five the top the number five best light heavyweight in the sport Gegard Mousasi is sitting at number four at middleweight which was interesting to me over Derek Brunson Marvin Vittori Jared Cannonier Jack Hermanson and, and others which I can kind of rock with that that one that one stood out to me as well at welterweight uh, Yaroslav Amosov, who just defeated uh, Douglas Lima, he's sitting at six behind uh, Stephen Thompson, Leon Edwards, Kamar Usman, Gilbert Burns, Kobe Covington, etc. Pretty, pretty standard there. What is your guess on where Conor McGregor was? Uh, I, mean, I guess I guess they ranked him in the top three, maybe. He's number eleven. Wow. Yeah, he's. he's He's not the 11th. He, he's much, he's much better than the 11th best lightweight in the world. I'm sorry. That's an insult to Dustin Poirier. Basically, that's an insult to every every time people think they're insulting Connor by he's only 11th rank. You were insulting Dustin Poirier. You're making Dustin Poirier's one of the best ones of his career seem like a walkover. You're taking away from any success and money he can make off that win by saying that. So let's see who they had over Connor. Dustin Charles. Understandably, um, Justin Gaethje, Benil Dariush was at four. Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, Islam Makashev at seven. Rafael Dos Anjos at eight. That one caught my eye. Rafael Dos Anjos at eight. Number nine was Patricio Friere and Bellator, their their double champ. Ten is Dan Hooker, and then eleven Conor McGregor. Twelve is Gregor Gillespie. Uh, let me see. 13 is Diego Feja, 14 is Brad Riddell, and 15 is Kevin Lee. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with it. 
And the worst thing is, if he somehow, if he beats Dustin Saturday night, then Dustin got smoked by the 11th ranked lightweight in the world, which means his whole run has been a complete farce. And do, and do, they, do they just flip the two? Like, that's my question. Does Conor become the number one ranked lightweight? That, that really kind of stood out to me. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky is the number one featherweight, Max Holloway, and then Patricio is number three. Ahead of Brian Ortega and Chance on John. AJ McKee is number I six. That. AJ McKee is number six. How do you feel about that above Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, and Edson Barbosa? Well, Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett aren't that good. I mean, they're more they face better opposition. But let's talk about he's a he's he's a better athlete than Cater. He's a comparable athlete to Emmett, but he's shown a broader broader set of skills than both of them in all their fight. Emmett just wings big punches and knocks people out. Cater is supposedly a boxer, but he's really a volume puncher, masquerading as a boxer, and he's gotten trounced by the two elite guys he's faced. AJ McKee has beaten everybody's face, lower class, and as he's moved up in tiers of opponent, he's only gotten better. So we've already seen the peak of Emmett and the peak of Cater. We haven't seen the peak of um, McKee yet, and he showed a broader skill set. So yeah, I'd agree with that. So then let's talk about bantamweight. Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan are tied for one. You have Corey Sandhagen. Yan's better than him. No offense. I hate to turn on my brother, but he got his ass whooped. You did. Corey Corey Sandhagen's three. Rob Font is four. Jose Aldo, Pedro Munez, Marlon Morales, Frankie Edgar, Rob Davalashvili, Sergio Pettis at 10, which caught my eye. I think Sergio... Sergio, in my opinion, I think he would beat Frankie Edgar if, if they fought now. Yep. But I could see him getting bounced around by some of the other ones there. Kyoju Horiguchi at 11. I think mm-hmm. I think Horiguchi beats Edgar and Marlon Marla Morales right now. Maybe yeah, Mar- Pedro. Pettis beats Marlon Morales. Horiguchi might, might be, be thrown in jail for what he does to that man. Um, yeah, the first thing, when they told me Jan and Aljamain Sterling were tied, that's ridiculous. Sergio Sergio Pettis being number eleven, that's an insult and that's ridiculous. Um insulting and ridiculous. That 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 list is I'm not saying they're necessarily above well, I think Horiguchi would beat the hell out of San Hagen. And San, I like San Hagen. I don't know if he's beating Horiguchi though. Um yeah, Horiguchi's gotta be like in the top three <laughs> to me. On that man, Horiguchi is real, real good. Like you we often think back to that loss he had to DJ where he got finished in that at 459 in the fifth or whatever that was, Horiguchi's a, a fucking, he's a buzzsaw, dude. Like, he smokes people, and I think people are really sleeping on him. Let's look at featherweight real quick, flyweight, where we have Brandon Moreno at one, Davison Figueredo at two, Askar Askarov at three, Adriano Morales at four, Demetrius Johnson at five. I think that's very interesting to me as well, too. Yeah, I think Demetrius is still better than those guys. I think in one, he was fighting a guy who was much more physical and and actually really a lot bigger. Not just bigger, but skilled and probably a weighter class or two bigger. And, th- and that made a big difference in it. I still think skill-wise, he's, he's a top five fighter. He's only lost, what, twice in, in the past, what, seven years? And I don't know, to be honest. Um, who else? What was I going to say? I guess Moreno is a good pick. Um, where did you say Figueredo was placed at? He's two. Askar, Askar offers three. Yeah, I don't know that Askar's really faced good enough competition. I guess they're just going off potential. But yeah, I, I guess that's a, I guess that's a fair enough, I guess that's a fair enough list. It's very interesting. I always enjoy conversations about rankings. It's, it's a pretty interesting conversation, and I, and I look forward to seeing what these rankings look like after Saturday. But um, Shawan, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on for the rest of this week? Uh, one one more thing before we go, just in the boxing term, we had Chris Colbert. He beat King Tug last Sunday, I think. I'm not quite sure. But basically, it's because he fights in the 130, 135 range. Floyd says they're not making any fights with any fighters outside of PBC. So if, De- if Javonta doesn't stay at 140, then that's a viable option against a, another belt holder who's in the PBC um who's in the PBC stable, which means that's a fight that could be made. Cobra likes to talk. He's kind of inflammatory. He's athletic. He's kind of flashy. Um, he doesn't really hit the hardest, and he doesn't necessarily take the best shot. So it, it seems like a, a matchup that you could build. You could uh, 
You could hype up through pay-per-view, and you could, I wouldn't say you guarantee that Tank could get the win, but it'd be at least a 60-40, 70-30 split, which would help him because he's beating another belt holder and a guy who's on a win streak or I think undefeated and has defended his belt multiple times, which would also add to the resume of Javante Davis. So that's a potential fight you could see coming down the line. Um, as far as what I'm working on, I'm going to do an article on Julia Pena in, um, in her fight against Amanda Nunes. And I've already finished my article breaking down the style, strategies, and techniques of the Black Widow. Um, and hopefully that'll be out by Friday or Saturday when they release the movie on pay-per-view. Or I don't know when it comes out in the theaters, but hopefully it'll be out some, it'll be some out this weekend. Good, good. So I'll be covering, uh, I'm working a fight this weekend, covering all things pro wrestling as usual. So we'll be back here next week for episode 212. Definitely going to have a lot to talk about after the fights this weekend. Um, and we will be covering all of that and keeping a close eye on everything that's going on. As usual, everyone, thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. Catch us, check us out, MMA, MMA ratings across all platforms. Myself, you can find me at rgarcia underscore sports. Shawan Humes, you can hit him up at Black Jordan Green. Thank you, and we will be back next week, guys. Everyone be safe, safe, and have a good weekend. Have a good evening, guys.